I'm Sandra Patel-Stewart, CEO of Transition Partners. And I'm Ellie Nettleton, Managing Director. Welcome back to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit. This season, we're super excited. We're going to be focusing on how leaders embed a positive organisational culture. everyone and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast, the Culture Edit. So we're really excited this evening because we've actually got a live event in our Leeds office and both myself and Sandra are really pleased to be welcome, uh, welcoming a lovely bunch of guests this evening. So I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm going to get them to do a 60 second elevator pitch style introduction. We've got Mike, Natasha, Fakan and Paul with us this evening. So Fakan... I'm going to get you to kick us off, if that's okay. If you can tell us who you are, what business you've arrived from, and a bit of background about yourself. Sure. So my name is Fakan. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Connexin. We're based in Hull and in the south. We build smart, connected cities. Um, we're about 150 people now and have raised around 150 million to date. Um, business is growing fast, um, and it's something that I started while I was at uni. So. I have no business qualification. My background, you know, as we were discussing earlier, is in medicine. I actually trained as a doctor and practiced as a surgeon and started this on the side. Started losing my hair and I was like, oh, <laughs> so, so, something needs to give, right? And then uh, I took a couple of years out of medicine and uh, the business just kind of skyrocketed. Um, so having lots of fun doing it and thanks for, for having me, guys. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Natasha Sosalem. I'm the Global Head of Partner Engineering for Amazon Prime Video. Uh, I've been at Amazon for about a year and a half. And before that, I was at Sky and before that, I was at the BBC. I'm a very proud Yorkshire woman, um, live here in the city. Um, I'm also the founder of Empowering Women with Tech, uh, which I'll talk to you a little bit more about later and Leeds Digital, which is the largest Twitter community, bringing all of the Leeds Digital community together. I am a proud mum of two girls, and I'm sadly an Everton supporter and getting very worried that they're going to get relegated. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Mike. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Mike O'Brien. I'm uh, the co-founder and uh, now co-chair of Opencast Software. Um, we're an enterprise consultancy. I think that's the best way of describing what we do. Build software and do consulting gigs for huge global enterprises. Um, a lot of the UK government as well. So we work with people like HMRC, DWP, the NHS, work with Barclays, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan. So quite interesting split between government and investment banking, which has its challenges. Um, we're about 305 people at the moment, offices in Newcastle, Leeds, which is just open three weeks ago, um, Edinburgh and London. Um, I started my career as a software developer in the 1980s on huge machines the size of this building. <laughs> so I've been a sort of died in the world developer all my life and um, got a chance to start a business um, after the last company I worked for was acquired. And I was cast into the world of global consulting and ran away and started a business <laughs> instead <laughs> to maybe set the world to right. So yeah, that was, that was my story. And thanks very much for inviting me. Hey, um, so I'm uh, Paul Trotter. I'm the deputy CTO at Atom Bank. I'm also the head of delivery there. Um, so I've been at Atom Bank pretty much since it started in different forms. Uh, so I've been there since 2015. Uh, initially, I was a program director for a third party that provided a lot of the, uh, the, the software, the, the data center and everything else. So I, so I implemented the initial bank for them. 
uh, working with them closely. And then I joined them directly, uh, mainly because I liked it. Simple as that. <laughs> and then I, so then I became uh, head of infrastructure, then took on uh, change and testing, then took on service. Uh, so I was keeping hold of change. And then recently um, I've got become, well, last year, I've become the IT delivery, uh, head of IT delivery. Uh, in terms of me, prior to that, I was consulting largely uh, for many years. Um, in terms of me as a person, uh, as a real person, uh, we are, uh, so I've got a wife, two kids, two dogs, and currently I've got uh, two Ukrainians. Uh, so nice. Yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you. So um, I must say I'm really impressed with the, the 60 seconds because um, obviously yeah. you've, we've got a vast amount of experience here. Um, you really which, well. Yeah, <laughs> you did really well. Um, so thank you. So I'd, I'd first of all like to um, address my first question to Furkan. Um, so obviously you're a founder of a business, a very experienced, um, very experienced background, rapidly growing um, business. I think it'd be really interesting for us all to hear more about your leadership style and how that's evolved over the years. Oh, I think it's still evolving, if I'm honest <laughs> with you. Um, I think you know, people keep asking you know, what leadership is. I don't know if I know the answer, but you know, in my own journey, I've gone from kind of being a player to becoming a player manager to becoming a manager. It, from you know, utilizing football as an example, and I think just as a business has grown, you know, as when you're in founder mode, you do everything. You, you're the banker, you're the accountant, you're this, you're that, you're this. Uh, then you start hiring people in, and you know, if you're hiring right, you hire people that are better than you, um, and then they make your life a bit easier. So I think part of it is really understanding how you know my journey's evolved to picking the right people for the right tasks, uh, and then learning when to step back and let them shine, um, because I always want to shine. Um, <laughs> but you know, just, just on a series, it's giving them the opportunities and it's really hard, I think, that transition. And it, it, I, don't, I don't know when it happened in our business, if I'm honest with you, but it happened quite naturally. Uh, but recognizing that you, know, you, you have to go from kind of founder to leader if you want to achieve growth. So I, I've experienced it all now from kind of two, two friends at uni starting a business together to hiring in people who are you know, old enough to be my parents, um, having to manage them, paying them big salaries, um, raising money and sitting opposite investors in big London offices when, you know, I don't have an MBA and we're talking about discounted cash flows. I'm like, okay, YouTube, what an absolute, <laughs> what an absolute savior, right? In our generation, YouTube is for learning. Um, but I think, I think for me, it's, it's an ever evolving thing, but one that I think it's marginal things that make a difference. So there's nothing you do as a leader that makes you a leader. It's, it's the attitude and the culture that I'm learning to set that the team operate within uh, to kind of give them the, the space they need to grow. Fantastic, love that. And Paul, as a technology leader with many years experience in the industry. Because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say your top three leadership principles are? Um, so I'd start by just being open and honest, um, because you're all, everyone's there. They know, they, they can see it, they can see it, they can feel it by your behaviours and everything else. So if you try and mask stuff, they just they then just lose faith and trust in, in what actually you're doing. Um, the other thing, that the next sort of thing is, um, it's a bit corny, but having a North Star. So having a, a direction, something that's not date-bound, it's not fixed on something, but actually 
you can constantly be explaining the, the journey towards it, what steps you're taking, what effectively how they can actually be going on that journey with you to actually achieve it. But the key to why it not, just can't be date is because effectively, if you miss a date, what happens? Is it the end of the world? Probably not if you're a day out. You know, there's, there's other things that matter about it. And then in terms of the, the final one, I kind of, I think it's just around having empathy because everyone's going through lots of different things and all, and people are at different stages of their life, and especially at the moment with all the things that are going on in, in the world. Um, it's, you've, you've got to try and understand what's, what's actually impacting them and actually almost how to make each of them happy and where, where they are on their happiness scale on a weekly basis because mm -hmm. that actually, if, if the team's happy or the individuals are happy, the team's happy, the velocity or whatever phrases you use to do it, the outcomes are just so much more. Mike, you told us a little bit earlier about those that successful career you've had in tech, but 30 years in tech leadership oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd be nice and polite, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> a strong background in tech leadership. What inspired your career and who inspired your career? I was, uh, yeah, because you, you told us what the question was going to be beforehand, which is very nice of you. And now I went, I went, I went, no, that question, because uh, somebody asked me that um, about like, two or three months ago, and all these amazing people being been hiring, um, will book a meeting with you, and you think, oh, that's quite interesting, great, and then ask you a bunch of hard questions, and one was this question, and I kind of said, oh, no, that one, I've always thought, what would I say, and I, and I thought, I don't know, really, and then, of course, I went away and thought, that's terrible that I couldn't really answer that, but then I thought it's because of, you know, it sounds a bit cheesy, but there's so many people. Yeah. And so I sort of wrote some notes, which then I wrote tons of people's names. And then I kind of went, well, actually, it's this piece about the first place I worked, mm. you know, which was for about eight or nine years. And the way Where was that? Um, it was a place called Prescription Pricing Authority. Okay. Um, and it's now called BSA. Mm -hmm. And when I started, it was funny because I thought, is the answer not always £6.40? <laughs> and they kind of went, oh, the drugs bill's 80 billion. <laughs> and there's a lot of complicated data analytics, really, is what it was. But, you know, I kind of didn't know what that was when I was 21. And basically that, that place, um, you know, they, it was kind of like a startup within the NHS. It was providing all these services to different parts of the NHS. And the person who set the office up just basically got an office really near a house so she could walk to work, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> Um, and then hired a bunch of us as graduates and then some really kind of senior people who were 10, 15 years older than us and just created these fantastic teams. And I thought that inspired me because there were consultants in the, you know, in, in the real terms of 30 years ago who were these genius people and you just sat next to them and they just taught you everything. Yeah. How you test stuff properly, how you design stuff, how you look at performance, all these things that just live with you in a tech career. And for me, that was... It was quite inspiring because I had no idea really that it was going to be beyond, you know, writing some lines of code that you did at Newcastle Poly, which is where I, where I studied, you know. Um, and so that was this amazing sort of um, foundation and watching how these people manage putting teams together. And some of the massive mistakes as well. You know, there was some, yeah, the, you know, kind of had a new head of tech who came in and he was brilliant, genius in terms of the way we were going to build all this data-driven technology and transfer from mainframe technology to client-server and web. But on his first day, he banned the, um, the tea break, which was a thing. In the morning and in the afternoon, that was banned. Um, and it was kind of absolutely shocking, you know? Yeah, and you know, and this was done by memo. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there were some really interesting things in it. Another one I remembered was a, you know, things that form you was a, oh, well, I'll get the 10 best people in the department in a room and they can sort this out. And we were all sitting outside going, wonder what they're talking about, because we're not in the top 10. So, you know, there's just some things, interestingly, kind of inspire you in sort of some sort of funny ways. Yeah, and, and then I think when I moved from that business to a startup, there's about 30 of us, another sort of startup, but it was in a, a proper, you know, work for investment banking, globally started by two chaps who'd done that for a living. And um, that was this amazing apprenticeship in how you start something and how you run it, because you started as a, you know, as a developer or a project manager, but you were in this entrepreneurial thing. And it was just, you're doing everything. You know, and that was, that was really fascinating. And they, they, they were really good at, you know, setting up the company, working with Wall Street, which you think we're all really terrified and they're going to be all brilliant at technology. And you find out they're kind of not, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we had all these great opportunities and they just basically let us build this company without a huge amount of interference other than we kind of got to make some money yeah. and we've got to do good work. You know, a lot more to it than that. But that was a really fascinating thing about letting people just go and be self-directed and see how that works. And also in terms of if you hire the right people, that sort of magic that yeah, can happen. So, yeah, so that was brilliant. Um, and then, you know, I think they did really inspire me because I saw how they did that. And they thought they were going to have like 10 or 20 people in the business. Mm -hmm. And at the end, there was 800 wow. all over the world. So it was quite inspiring seeing people thinking, oh, this is the horizon and then just letting it go and letting other people do things. And they sort of let me do that really as a sort of, is that term intrapreneurial where somebody lets you build a thing in the business? And somehow they let me build a kind of web technology business within the business, oh, wow. which was really an invaluable thing when it came to doing it yourself because it was good idea. You go and do the marketing, you sell it, uh, you build the team. And I kind of went, oh, I thought, you were just going to give me some work to do. <laughs> so that was, that was fascinating as well. So, so I think, you know, that it's those things that in, inspired me, really. Um, and, you know, the current, in the current company, yeah, you know, you, yeah, and that's brilliant. You know, I think that the comment you made about bringing in people better than you, and you totally learn that early, don't you? And then you get inspired by those people, and you kind of get a nice sort of teamly, set up and I, and, and I did the first thing I was going to say as you know should you say this your dad yeah. so my dad was an engineer and he was the person who came home one night and I remember him I was about 14 or 15 going bloody consultants and I kind of went to him, what's that about and he said oh well these folks have come in and are on the photocopier all the time and he's an engineer and he's going what, what are they doing you know and so I sort of dug into this a little bit and then he kind of said well you know I know you want to be a graphic designer yeah. and a professional skateboarder, but here's the truth, right? <laughs> <laughs> here's a computer. And he bought me a computer and, you know, that was it. Wow. The rest is history. Fantastic. It's nice to see how, like, each step along the way has helped mm. inspire you and where you're at to now, which is awesome. Natasha, <laughs> as leaders, we often celebrate our team's success, but I think it's often important to kind of take a step back and take a moment and look at your own successes. What's yeah. the most recent sort of significant success that you've taken the time out to celebrate? That's such a good question. And also, by the way, I have notes. I've had like two, three years of having talks where I can just zoom in, have my notes on the screen and be <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> 
I'm so well prepared. Uh, so if I look at notes, I promise uh, it's because I want to do this justice. So uh, the last big milestone that I celebrated, I think, in my career was joining Amazon um, in 2020. Uh, so firstly, I'm a voracious film and TV watcher. I did a degree in film and I love film and TV and it pretty much um, shows in my career, right? I went to the BBC, onto Sky and onto Prime Video. Uh, but I love technology as well, and so I get the best of both worlds. And um, it was such a sort of milestone for me one day to join a FANG. If you're familiar with the term FANG, you know? Uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google. Uh, but now because Facebook are now meta, I think it's like MANG. <laughs> so, uh, so, but to work on a product like Prime Video genuinely motivates me every day. I'm an avid user of the product. And so actually that's a huge motivation to get out of bed and work on uh, the product. Um, and I think that's just one of the silver linings of the pandemic. In a million years, I didn't think I'd ever end up at a fang or a mang um, because I didn't want to move to London. I have two young children. I have a husband who's really settled here. So I thought that was completely off the table for me. And you know, Amazon are incredibly embraceive of remote working and uh, I have uh, I've been told to shout out about this because we are hiring virtually now. I, I live in Harrogate and I go into the office once a month and uh, so if any of you are looking or listening, uh, <laughs> check out the Prime Video job boards because there's a lot of remote uh, opportunities and it's awesome. Um, but deconstructing it further, there's more call outs I, I'm proud of. Uh, Prime Video is the first job where I've onboarded remotely. Mm -hmm. I onboarded remotely into a leadership team. My boss is based in Seattle. Uh, I have a team that are based in five different countries around the world. So I have a team in Seattle and uh, LA. I have a team in London or in the UK. I have a colleague in India. I have a big team in Beijing and I have a growing team in Tokyo. And uh, so that was insane of how to adapt my leadership style for remote working. I also have a huge challenge because not, I cannot meet my whole leadership team in one time zone. Uh, so I have to meet with my UK and Beijing Tokyo team and then try and bring my Seattle and my LA team back up to speed in the afternoon. And it's, we've tried it once, uh, I think at 12 noon I think it's about 11 p.m. in one time zone, about 7 a. At 6, 7 a.m. in the other, and everybody was like, we're not doing this again. <laughs> uh, so with this, communication continues to be a big challenge for us. And we were talking about this earlier, Amazon has an infamous writing culture. PowerPoint is banned in the business. We write, and um, we are voracious writers, and we believe in the clarity of thought and documenting things so that we can share documents very easily. We can annotate on documents, and it means that extroverts like me don't dominate the room, that introverts get their time to comment, have their um, opinions heard and listened to in a way that suits them. Uh, and so prior to joining Amazon, as I kind of talked about in my 60 seconds, I was at uh, Sky, where I was the, one of the heads of technology at Sky, and prior to that, I was at the BBC working on BBC Sport. So with the BBC, it was very UK focused. Sky was UK Europe. But this is the first time I've truly worked on a truly worldwide product. Uh, and, you know, to give you a bit of background, what I do is my team uh, gets Prime Video into living room devices. So if you think about your devices at home, you may have a smart TV, 
You may have a video games device like a PlayStation or an Xbox, a streaming stick like Roku or Chromecast, or a set-top box like Sky or Virgin or Comcast. And my team gets Prime Video onto those devices. So it's incredibly challenging because we're trying to get the same technology onto a, a £1,000 TV and the same technology onto a £20 streaming stick. Uh, so it's a, a, an amazing Rubik's Cube of a challenge. So I work with all of the third party uh, manufacturers around the world. So Sky, uh, Samsung, uh, PlayStation. So everyone in that team is delighted to have a PS5 uh, <laughs> for testing. Um, uh, um, I already asked you for it. We get to work on awesome things to really improve the customer experience. So uh, recently, for example, we uh, launched Filmmaker Mode uh, with LG as our pilot partner, which is this amazing new technology. It's uh, industry first that uh, Filmmaker Mode enabled content will switch the audio and video on an LG enabled TV to how the director or the creator intended it. So you don't have to fiddle with your TV to audio and video settings. It will auto change it. Uh, to how um, 1917 was designed to look like. Uh, so we've worked with the uh, Hollywood Film Alliance, uh, with um, all of the biggest directors, some new, you know, up-and-coming people like Martin Scorsese and Christopher Nolan um, on getting this out. And that's something my team helped deliver. And so that's pretty badass, right? It gets you out of bed <laughs> in the morning. So Amazing. milestone joining Amazon. Fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, Mike, I'd like to talk more about people and leading people and obviously seeing people grow and develop and, and flourish is a really en enriching experience. I think it'd be really interesting to hear more about how that's done at Opencast. Um, how you develop people and work more about career development within Opencast would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's, a, that's a great question, especially today in terms of, you know, people trying to attract good people and keep good people. Um, probably, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I thought about this one in terms of when the company really started to, to grow a few, few years ago beyond sort of 60, 70 people, and a number of people said, so, you know, but w what about what happened in previous lives where especially in consulting where people are kind of plugged into particular clients and people can just end up doing the same job for a long time which some people yeah. kind of want to do mm -hmm. and other people who want to progress and it can be then limited by what the client will let you do yeah. if I can say that but yeah. that's kind of what happens especially yeah, when true. people are really good at their job yeah. you go oh well can you just keep on doing that at that mm -hmm. level okay, yeah. so somebody asked me at one of our offsites about well question about culture maintaining culture as well but about you know, careers and said, like, it's something that we definitely in previous life didn't focus on enough um, because we were so busy growing the thing. I thought, if that starts happening to us, we're going to have to really be careful and what, what should we do about it? So, you know, you know, definitely one of the things that we've done is invested quite heavily in people who are L&D professionals um, and grow teams and not just one person. The other classic is you have a person <laughs> and you give it all to them and they go, well, I can't actually get anything done. So we learned that actually, if you're making some money, a smart thing to do is to then invest in that properly. Um, so, we, you know, we've done a lot of that. Um, I have to say, you know, we've 
we've grown 200 people in lockdown or more, which is great. Um, and it, it's pushing on further, but then that, that challenge is, well, let's get the career frameworks in place. And then six months goes past and you oh, we haven't really given people a chance because everyone's focusing on recruitment. So, you know, just being completely honest, which I think we, we all are, that's something that we're focusing a lot on at the moment and really hard on. And one of the things that we've done, we developed a, a really brilliant UCD function a few years ago. And what we said is what we'll do is point that at problems that we've got. Yeah. Because, you know, we do believe in doing things for the, you know, the, the kind of end consumer, as it were, be that the people who work for us or the clients. So let's sort of aim that and see what we can, what we can discover that people really want. So um, that's been really interesting, actually, because, yeah, lo and behold, guess what you think? This is what people are going to want. People are completely different generations. There's so many more different, you know, roles and jobs. Um, and the clients are doing different things. So I guess, you know, we're working really hard on that and we're trying to make it a real you know, everyone's growing culture. So when we're hiring people, you know, it all comes down to who you actually hire it and the, the reasons you hire them mm -hmm. around that. Look, we are about growing. We get that some people might have quite, we've started calling it wiggly careers. I mean, mine's been a bit like that really, where you think you're going to be working in this thing and suddenly that's really not the thing for you. And it maybe it is a different client, but maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, our head of people, Kate, talked about that. And I thought that was brilliant because it was so visual and really did describe that thing where you're working in software development and then you're suddenly thinking, you know what, this management yeah. piece might be good, but oh, actually, what about account management, which is a totally different thing. And I think, you know, some people have made some really good moves in our company, and I've seen that in the past and sort of done it myself. And you find something that you didn't really think was going to be your thing, so we're kind of looking quite hard at, well, how do you make sure that's real? And you don't just say it. Right, you know, because you know how that goes as well. You say, oh, we're, we're like this. And then you're off on the day job. Um, so there's been a lot of, look, we've got to make these things work because the, you know, the growth thing, and for a lot of people, just isn't stopping. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to kind of have the... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the devil in consulting, yeah. that people have to be charged out or it's, yeah. you're not making any money. So... It's kind of making it so, yeah, everyone knows that. But then how you can then work with a client and say, well, we kind of got to, we're looking after you, but we're looking after the folks as well. So you can't expect this much time all the time. And if you get the right clients and have the right relationship, that works because they want to retain the people too. Yeah. So, you know, there's been a lot of partnership stuff, which I think we've always been pretty good at doing, but especially now where, you know, there's no magic answer to say where, these people are going to come from or where these seniors are going to come from. So you've got to bite the bullet and say, well, we've got to work on it together. Yeah, so, yeah, fascinating times, you know, at, at the moment. And I mean, yeah, I could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for being really open and honest, because obviously there's there's still a lot. It sounds like there's still quite a lot to work on there, but you're moving in yeah, the right direction, which is, which is exciting, right? really exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Evolution and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, it's a really interesting time. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, Paul, I understand that um, Atom Bank last year, back end of last year, mm -hmm. was um, rolled out the four-day working week. Yep. Um, so it would be really interesting to hear how that initiative went, how the pros and cons, and um, so I understand there's quite a number of businesses that have 
tried, tested. It was the biggest company was in the UK the biggest, at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, thanks for being really open and honest, because obviously there's there's still a lot. It sounds like there's still quite a lot to work on there, but you're moving in yeah. the right direction, which is, which is exciting, right? really exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Evolution and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I think that's you know that's a really interesting space. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So Paul, I understand that um, Atom Bank last year, back end of last year, mm -hmm. was um, rolled out the four-day working week. Um, so it'd be really interesting to hear how that initiative went, how the pros and cons, and um, I understand there's quite a number of businesses that have tried, tested. It was the biggest company in the UK at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah biggest one at the time we've, we've done it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we're 450 people. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did that go? Well, how's it going? Because it's still going. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm off tomorrow, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which means I have jobs to do. It doesn't actually mean I'm off. I have, I have, I have kids to go and do and sort, and I have ironing I'll be over getting for the day. I've now become an ironing expert. Uh, so that's the main thing I've learned from a four-day week. Um, but so four-day week is, frankly, it's really, really good, uh, and it's it's in many ways it's a game changer just for me from a, a throughput perspective in terms of we do one hour longer day so uh, we do an eight and a half hour day uh, for four days and then we have a day off but in reality on, on the, you know most people on a friday afternoon probably weren't uh, having lots of meetings anyway and people start to go off so actually it's it's kind of you haven't lost anything but you've gained a day off and actually what that does for you mentally what it does for your family what it does for you actually just in giving you space where you've got lots of pressure on you in terms of, of work at different times uh, it's a uh, it's, it's a game changer but having said that it's not for everybody um so that's there's, there's been certain people who've just opted out of it because they don't want it yeah 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 so because one size never fits anybody yeah. and and so it sounds like most people go oh yeah i want i want a four-day week uh, but there are people for very good reasons who just just don't they they want to be doing know the a different a different hours and everything else and you've got to accept that otherwise uh, you'll lose people that you don't yeah. you don't want to lose and anything like that um, but in terms of the actual the, the makeup of it we did have to put some loose controls around it in terms of ideally make it a monday or a friday mm -hmm. so just because you you want people to be around you've got to make certain you do it in a in a fair way to everybody because yeah. we're a bank we're still open actually seven days a week yeah. so you've got to make certain that people aren't feeling like uh, if they're on the, the service desk or if they're in the ops, ops area, that actually they're, they're still uh, being given the same sort of benefits and, and everything else. Uh, so, so there are other nuances uh, you know, which, which don't naturally always come out. But in terms of um, measurements, in terms of actually how we've gone, so we've been tracking it from across every department. So like in technology, we've been tracking like our uptime, our response times. We've been tracking our throughputs and from a change perspective. And... They've either increased, as in got better, not in terms of, um, uh, or, they, or they've stayed the same, which, which, is, which is all, all cool. But in terms of actually employee engagement in technology, just by giving people the flexibility rather than, than actually saying you must yeah. and everything else, um, you, we've basically gone up about 13% in wow. six months. Um, so, so we've now got a, a, you know, an employee engagement score in the 80s, which is really, really good. That's so we weren't, we weren't bad to start with, but now it's, yeah. but it's, it's about actually... We've given, we've empowered the people in, in lots of ways to go and go and deliver, uh, and go and deliver in a way that works works for them, works for their families as well. You've got the metrics behind it. Yeah, yeah. So we're still officially on a trial, uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's not going back. You can tell from everything that's going on. Uh, there's just the, but it will. It's 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 got momentum and it's got 
it's got it's helped so much as well around uh, attrition so last last year probably most people had a a big vaccination type of thing yeah. and a sort of a augusty time and all that sort of stuff in the in the summer so yeah in technology we're about about 110 120 people um and we've lost three since we started it so wow. which so just the difference is is amazing because even that uh helps from a throughput uh, you know in terms of actually people's delivery and people's because when people leave it affects everyone's morale yeah. you know it's not just about that so you actually do want to keep the people you've invested in them anyway yeah. so so it's 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 a true game changer it's, it's really it's really good is my answer just really quick question with that is there an option for so you said there's an extra day an hour um, <laughs> <laughs> extra hour a day yeah. for the four days is there an option to do that on the fifth day and not d do the official four day week you, people can work five days if they so, want to but but only do the four days on the fifth day four hours even they they can do i don't don't quite understand. They can do 34 hours over five right. days if they want, which yeah, I think yeah. is what yeah. you're asking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no. So we we aren't. There's no no arm up anyone's back yeah, to say you've got to do four. Yeah. So some people may prefer that if they depend on what their circumstances are at home anyway. Yeah. And we haven't um, done it as in terms of saying and now everyone must come into the office. So we're still yeah. offering a hybrid, remote. Depends on you know whatever works for for areas, and that tends to be by team. You know, if one teams tend to come in rather than individuals yeah. and they tend to do that for, for themselves and based around actual events so yeah but isn't it cool because you know that whole flexibility model is amazing now that you, you know I did compound hours uh, at Sky so I did five days and four yeah. when I was coming back from maternity leave to have more time with my child coming back and you know now I mean with flexi working um, you know Amazon is allows you know we're expected to kind of go into the office once a month obviously people go in more regularly but kind of the cadence is around once a month but that flexibility is amazing because it, as you say it's about retention and retaining people in the workforce um, by giving that flexibility but I think also as employers you've got to realize that employees are probably looking for that flexibility too so if you want to give yourself an edge against other companies and other candidates you know the flexibility you're willing to offer is probably going to be one of the reasons they choose you over somebody else not even an edge anymore isn't it like yeah. obviously as a recruiter the amount yeah. of times and they're like oh we let people work from home two days a week and i'm like well that's really not going to be enough <laughs> like <laughs> let me coach you around that piece <laughs> so uh yeah it's it's just expected isn't it in our industry so natasha Hello. you've always inspired me as a really strong advocate for women in tech over the years and you've also founded empowering women in tech which is amazing um, an open platform for women in the industry to share knowledge and inspire others i've been to plenty of your events in the past and really really enjoyed them if you haven't definitely make sure you attend because they're incredible um as tech leaders I think we all want to learn more about what we can do to encourage more diverse representation into the industry. So I'm hoping you got the magic answer. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure this lot are too, right? So, I have an answer. I have an answer whether it's magical, I don't know. You, you judge. So Elvis Presley once sung, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. And I think there is a hell of a lot of conversation on this topic and people go to these events and they feel so inspired and empowered afterwards and then nothing changes. Uh, so I think we need to look at it as diversity, equity and inclusion. I think that actually the three terms are in there because 
you do need to look at it as a triple pronged approach. I set up Empowering Women with Tech nearly six years ago to empower and educate more women and people from uh, different backgrounds to get into digital science and technology because quite frankly, I love what I do. It's a cool job. It's so people orientated, it's exciting, it's fast paced, it's creative. Uh, I get to problem solve and work on things that I genuinely enjoy using. And I found it really weird that there wasn't more diversity in the industry because it's, it's a cool industry. I, I get to wear what I want. I, uh, you know, it's a cool lifestyle. You get paid well, you get to travel the world. I mean, you know, you go, you people are all in, you know, with me, right? Um, and so with Empowering Women with Tech, it was about setting up events that um, showed role models um, from, you know, a vast spectrum of uh, backgrounds, showed different career paths that it isn't just about coding. Um, and to demystify the industry, we speak our own language. We talk about Ruby and Agile and smoke testing and, you know, people outside. It, it, it phases them because we talk our own language and we don't realize we're doing it. And it can feel um, uh, a scary industry to get into. But once you know the terms, that it's, it's easy to jigsaw this together. And so Empowering Women with Tech has been running. Uh, we've had... Uh, three annual conferences, 21 events, 8,000 people have been to at least one of them. We have 137 people in industry mentoring scheme. And I focused it predominantly on the north of England because nearly all of the tech events that were happening were in London. And so we're trying to make a change of movement but expect people to get on a train for two hours, 15, to go to a conference and pay a couple of hundred pounds for a ticket. And so I wanted Leeds to be the stage. So I brought big speakers like Lauren Laverne, Dr. Sue Black, and marie Mifferden, um, oh crikey, um, astronaut Helen Sharman to the city. Uh, the events were free to attend. We also offered bursaries for <coughs> transport and for babysitting or elder care sitting. Uh, we would offer pre-meets. So somebody who'd never been to an event before could go to a pre-meet and we could buddy them up with someone. Because it's really daunting going to a networking event when you know nobody. Um, uh, at least until you've had a drink. Uh, and, um, and so we have done a lot of talking on it, and this is why we have to pivot to being much more delivery-driven, obtain the results we need, and, and why this aspiration is not being realised. Quite frankly, you are not going to hire an inclusive workforce if you're not short, shortlisting inclusive, you know, an inclusive shortlist. And right now in the industry, we are working at such a fast pace that we need to fill the roles of yesterday. I have loads of um, jobs at Prime Video. Did I tell you I'm hiring? Um, <laughs> and, um, and it, you know, it's easy to get seduced by the pace that you, you, you need to fill these roles. Yeah. But you have to have um, a moment of pause and get the right shortlist because otherwise it's just self-fulfilling. You will not get diversity unless you shortlist. We need to provide equitable access to training, to events, um, to mentors, and for everybody to get into the industry. We have an industry skills shortage, and you know, it, it, at a diverse level, but just full stop at uh, a skills level. Uh, I don't know if the statistics still ring true, but around 91% um, of people who sit A-level computing in the UK are boys. 91%. 
Um, so that's already uh, a, a harsh statistic. But also, I think it was something like 2,700 people sat it when the industry is saying like we need like 20, 30, 40,000 people leaving school with A-level computing. Um, so my biggest takeaway is to be results driven, to set company-wide goals of, uh, of around DE&I and that the most senior people in your organization own those goals and they are on the hook for it and they are going to explain their work back plan of how they're going to get there. Um, because otherwise we'll spend lots of money on these amazing you know, events and we all leave really great afterwards, but we need change and uh, it, it, these things matter. You know, right now we're working on um, a lot of machine learning. There's huge amounts of evidence about algorithmic bias and you know, if we don't get diversity in, there is huge problems that we will face because we are led so much by technology that we need to make sure that there is a, a right mix of people in the room asking the right questions from a diverse range of backgrounds. Um, because, you know, right now, so much is getting automated, which is great. But with that, we have to make sure that we are going into eyes wide open. Thank you. Love that. Mike, how do you, I mean, cultures, it's tough to manage and cultivate anyway, but across so many different locations and offices at Opencast Software, how do you sort of like nurture that company culture and where everyone gets that sense of belonging and is aligned to the common goal and the vision of the business? How do you do that successfully? Yeah, I mean, as you know, it's such a big deal for us. Um, it's for everyone now, which I, I mean, I am delighted about because I think there was a time, to be, some of us have been in the industry quite a time, maybe people didn't really care about culture. Yeah. I'm sure everyone will say that they did, but I'm pretty sure that that wasn't a thing. It was, can people do brilliant software development? <laughs> can they manage projects? Here's a load of money. And then it, it was kind of a secondary concern whether anyone was sort of reasonably happy doing that and so on and so forth. So it's always been a really big deal for us. Um, and, you know, yes, how do you, how do you kind of transfer that and not just think it happens by osmosis, which is, I think, a problem that can that can happen and yeah. certainly I, I described before choosing previous life that was something somebody asked me how do you maintain the culture if in this offsite said we may we may grow to four or five hundred people they said all right so this nice feel that we've got how do we keep that yeah. so very much in the front of a lot of our minds where we remembered what happened when we thought it would just happen by osmosis mm -hmm. um, so we kind of did a lot of things about I won't say codifying it because I think that was a bit of a oh no that's a what a horrible thing that is to do with <laughs> culture you know you can like program people or brainwash people so we sort of worked quite hard on well how do we if people are going to join the business how do we know what what we're like so we uh, one of the first things we did is we made a we made a little handbook and we sort of we did pinch the idea from Valve yeah um, and um, I have a prop <laughs> And it's here. <laughs> um, and it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we like giving these to people, actually, because I, I think... We, I've got it, pictures of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, we kind of... What we started doing was thinking, what are the things that we say as people in the business? Yeah. And, you know, what are some kind of interesting quotes you use? You know, everyone's got those. But which are really good ones that capture things? Um, and how do we really sort of get the, the voice of the company across? 
because you know you'd start places sometimes and you get this massive pack yeah. you know and I started in the consultancy and I mean I it was just so dry and horrible it was all just about rules and you thought well, so what's it like working here you know and that wasn't really set about in terms of induction so one of the things we did was made that and that was way more successful than I think we thought it would be I think people straight away dialed into what we were about you know and um and the, <laughs> we called it that because a, a dear friend of mine who I used to work with used to say that quite a lot and you know he's definitely one of the people that inspired me this chap called Andrew Billington and um and he would say don't step over the milk and when you said that to people they would go oh yeah there's a the thing and how many people do that right <laughs> and so we had this real thing about when we're hiring people that is a, that's a major thing you know to kind of capture what does that mean so you know it can mean if somebody's in need of help at work it can yeah. mean I've just spotted this heinous thing yeah. in production and we kind of need to fix that yeah. or this thing's going to happen on the project mm -hmm. and it could be just well you know slope your shoulders I'm not going to touch that and I think that was a, that was a super core thing for us so we you know we kind of set about spreading that word on induction um, but then also you know you mentioned the offices well in lockdown we shut the London location and the Edinburgh location that were in shared office spaces and so when we started coming out of this the team said look you know one of the things that we've now got is 300 people spread across the country because we widened out the, the, the recruitment remit um, because a great thing that happened in lockdown went prior to that our clients would quite often want people to work on site and we really didn't want them to because we wanted people to be more with our arms around them. And so we had to do a lot of stuff on culture when you've got people on site. Yeah. And that was sort of pretty Even challenging, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's got all sorts of challenges. So the, the team said, look, what about if we then just pop up offices where we've got some concentration of people? I thought, well, that sounds like a really good idea. So it, it was that way around really to do that then help have somewhere to come people to come and do things so it was sort of you know oh you're not going to mandate people come in we say look some useful things might be if you did this sort of meeting or that sort of meeting but guess what it's up to you guys yeah. so that's the way we did it really and you know we're seeing some brilliant things when teams are coming together and you feel that sort of you know vibe in the office yeah. in in Newcastle yeah, or in yeah and it's we just sort of set it up as a look if we if we've got a good location and we've got some good things there that'll we'll, we'll see where that goes and that was definitely a way of helping with the culture and then I mean as everyone's done I'm sure we've done co company conferences quite regularly hired people to do internal comms because again that's another thing that everyone gets hammered for yeah. on the surveys with people uh, the comms isn't we don't know what's going on and it's so simple, isn't it? yeah so but it's you need a lot of people and people with good skills to make that work so there's that um, also you know as many kind of groups as we can set up for people to you know kind of agile development groups and functional programming groups UCD groups to go for a hike play football and I think that's that's you know that's that stuff it's kind of obvious but it's just letting folks go and do that and other things pop up you know a load of people said we rather than having a bit of a sort of you know we're, we're doing some work with charities let's make that a group and then kind of take that to another level yeah. and we're like oh great so it's a lot of those things have helped now i think just you know allowing people to go and do those things and giving people you know some 
proper budget to go and do it and not yeah. expect that it's all just goodwill. And equally with time, you know, make sure you can carve off time, time as well. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about the, you know, the working days thing as well. And we've kind of said, well, look, what can we do in terms of freeing up days for people and hours? So, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff too. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Natasha, I think as a leader, you learn a lot during your personal experiences as well. And I just wondered if you had any personal experiences that you want to share where you feel like you learnt the most that you could then bring it to work as a leader. Yeah. Um, so I genuinely think the pandemic times have had a big impact on all of our leadership styles, you know, specifically leading with compassion. And I think that going back to lockdown one when I was still at Sky, we'd done a lot of rehearsals of, you know, we, we, we knew what was on the cards, so we'd do a couple of dry runs of uh, telling people to come to the office and then going, actually, no, go home, and then testing to see how everybody worked from home. And obviously, when lockdown happened, as a leader, I'm looking at how my inputs, my outputs, and my outcomes need to change. And, you know, in a changing landscape, what I'm, uh, you know, my goals have completely changed uh, based on the surroundings. But also, as a leader, I have to think about empathy. I've got people who are dealing with grief and loss from the pandemic. I've got people dealing with mental health issues, especially around isolation, which was a huge problem for a lot of my team. Um, and also people's anxieties. You know, it was a really anxious time. For me, going into lockdown, you know, I had to work incredibly hard. I had to spin up teams. I had to react to the changing landscape. But I was a mum. I was a mum with two young kids. I had a one and a half year old at the time and a six year old. And their needs are completely different. You know, the six year old was very much uh, against homeschooling, wanting to uh, just play. And yeah, and the one and a half year old is affectionately, as many people know, nicknamed Mountain Goat. And uh, so um, pretty much on most work calls, it was like, George, you know, uh, what the hell are you doing on that kitchen surface? Get down. And, um, who gave her a Sharpie for the love of God? And um, it was very much uh, dealing with that. And I, my life went overnight from well-organized to chaos, to absolute chaos. And um, I think that you have to adapt your leadership style because everybody was going through such a unique situation and being the conductor and making sure that I set the direction and the pace, but making sure that everybody had specific bespoke requirements and to do their job. But for me, I think the biggest thing that I learned was being open and honest about my situation. Uh, what I think people don't realize is to get up to the top, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And especially if you are a parent or a carer, um, whatever, you know, even as a, you know, a female, unfortunately, there are challenges and easy and success don't always go hand in hand. And I think that sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by not talking openly and honestly about some of the challenges that we do have. And actually, it creates an incredible culture in your workplace that if I'm open and honest and talking about some of these challenges, that I create a culture that it cascades down, that others are more open and honest about talking about the challenges they have at home, um, whether that be mental health issues, whether that be, you know, you've had a bad night's sleep because mountain goats kept you awake all night. Um, and, and then we work together to, again, think results driven. What can we do to improve things right now? 
you know, is there better things that we could do? So Sky were amazing. They gave um, us all access to vouchers for childcare, for, um, which we could use for uh, babysitting, for nannies, uh, for holiday clubs, to enable me to work and to enable the fact that I can't do everything. Um, and, you know, I think that's the key thing is, <laughs> I get asked this question a lot, you know, you're in, you know, you've got a high powered job and you've got two kids, how do you do it all? If that doesn't add pressure onto me, I don't know what does, right? Um, and, <laughs> um, and so, you know, having that empathy, creating that culture from the top down of having an open and authentic culture, I think is really, really important. Uh, but also it's about retention and we've talked about retention here a lot here. We can do all of the things to hire more people and get more people in, but if the culture is not right and that you can't be authentic and honest and have uh, the, the right support mechanisms in work, then you will have a leaky pipe. And so for me, one of the biggest things that I've learned is really being authentic and honest about that so it creates the culture addressing pipeline issues in the workplace and the culture to to uh, support um, more people um, and then create a culture where people can survive and thrive in their careers as well you know and I think it was great how you were saying about like that open and being able to discuss your stories and I think we've all hopefully everyone's been a bit on LinkedIn this week and seen that because it's mental health awareness week and I think I've noticed a massive difference between this year and last year about the, how progressive it's been in people sharing their stories, which has been incredible. So if I can, I'm going to ask you a little question. It's very clear to everyone that you've worked in some stressful environments in the past. So I was hoping that you might be able to share a couple of tips on how you've managed like your stress levels before and anxiety in the workplace, because it's something we all struggle with at varying times. Uh I've, I've been fortunate to deal with life and death, I think, in a different way to maybe some other people have in life. <clears throat> I've had days where, because I was run, I started the business when I was in my third year of medical school, or fourth year, I can't remember. And, yeah, do you know, it's, I, I don't even know how I did it. I, I actually went to Dawn Capital to raise our, our seed round, and the guy who founded Wonga.com went in before me. And he came out super flustered. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to raise money. We didn't know what we were doing, if I'm honest with you. And we went in there, and the guy asked us loads of questions. He said, it'll never work. No one's going to go to voice over IP. And do you know what? Everyone's on voice over IP. <laughs> we, d we didn't get the round. And his, his criticism was, you can't do two things well. And I just thought, look, why does he think that I can't do two things well? So I made it my mission to complete my degree and run the business super difficult in hindsight but we did it and we grew the business and everything's gone in the right direction and I had my medical degree but you know I, going back to dealing with pressure once you realize how short life is you don't stress about the little things as much so the things that stress me out more are things that are meaningful mm -hmm. so for example you know are the people around me well mm -hmm. you know my health their health that kind of stuff so I can compartmentalize a lot of the work issues. Like uh, in the morning, I would have told somebody that their loved one has cancer. In the afternoon, I'd be in a board meeting and the sales guys are bitching about 41p a mile, kind of, you know, mileage claim versus 38p a mile. And the FD is like, no, we can't afford it. I'm like, how much does that actually cost for 3p a mile more? <laughs> and he's like, this much. I'm like, well, that's not the end of the world, is it? So let, let's park that close it off 
bigger problems. Um, so I think just having that perspective on life, you know, just having seen how fortunate I am to be in the position I am, I've got the opportunity to found a business. And, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, my wife sense checks me whenever I start to go off piste a little bit as well. So I was like, mm -hmm. look, I don't know what to do. You know, I've got this. Thanks everyone for listening to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit. If you would like to talk all things thought leadership and how you've embedded a positive organisational culture, get in touch. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and stay tuned by subscribing to us on Spotify or YouTube for future episodes. Stay tuned for our next one. Bye for now.